0: Welcome back to the Vine Conversations Podcast, episode seventy three. Today we are joined by Mr. and Mrs. G, who are living in North Africa, are the team leaders of um, our team that we've been partnered with for the sake of church planting uh, in North Africa in a place that has virtually uh, no gospel witness other than them and the church has been planted. Uh, So it's so good to have them back on the podcast, and we're really, really thankful that we've been in partnership with them for so many years. Mr. and Mrs. G, welcome. How are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here, man.
0: So we got a lot of snow recently. Have you guys ever lived in a place with snow? Because I know in the United States, living in the south, southern part of the United States for most of your life, is that correct? yeah. So before moving to north africa where there's not a lot of snow
2: yeah
0: has there ever been snow where you live
1: uh no not in our city no. not in our town you can go outside of a in the mountains a mountain, right about three hours away
0: yeah mountains but i mean that doesn't count that's mountains yeah,
1: yeah. but so, so like
0: uh, us getting like 10 inches of snow a couple so days yeah. ago like that's very foreign to your experience yes oh, yeah. yes oh,
2: yeah. wow yeah. But I think that what may be foreign to your experience is that it's cold here and <laughs> it's it's cold like it's and you're going to laugh at this. It's 55 degrees. Right. OK. But it's cold all the time. So you're at 55 all the time. So inside it's yep. like you're in an ice box, Right. At 55. No, it's not
0: hard to understand. Like our thermostat in the office is set to like 57 Okay. And so when I come, if I'm the first one into the office, yeah. you know, it heats up quick, but 57, when you're the first one here, that's cold. Like I'm leaving my coat on.
1: Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. We wear our coats in our houses cause it's upper fifties, lower sixties all day. Yeah.
0: Because no buildings where you live have central heating. That doesn't, Correct. that just doesn't right. exist.
2: And it's all made out of concrete and all the rooms are tiled. So, yeah. So it, wow. So, so
1: here's the thing. I went to America for a funeral last week Yep. and I haven't been to America in 10 years for, for a winter. And it was so cold there, but I was so hot inside, like I'm taking <laughs> off layers. I'm sweating, I'm sweating in target. I'm sweating in people's yeah. homes. I was so hot. I was like, what is happening? Cause you're because accustomed to, cold. Yes. yeah.
0: Your body's adjusted to living at 58 degrees or whatever. And we keep, most people keep it at like 68, 70, you know? Sure. Yeah. Interesting how our bodies adapt. Human -hmm. beings are very, very adaptable creatures. And uh, that being said, you guys have had to be very adaptable in your lives. And um, is there something in your life right now where you guys have had to adapt um, based on, your calling that you have um, as as church planters?
1: Uh, I would say for me this year, in the last two months, um, so we pulled our kids out of a uh, local school. They were doing like two languages in school, not English. And I, I thought it would be difficult, but it was very difficult, like just not have enough time. So I hired a local lady to come and help with the French school. And so we have this woman coming three times a week to help with French school. And we have this other guy coming. And so what I thought we could handle with three kids, we figured out, wow, we can't, we can't. There's a lot of languages. There's just a lot of work to do. It's very rigorous um, schooling. And so in the last couple of weeks, we have hired help to come into our house so that we can stay here in this city. So the city that we live in does not have like an American school, an English school, a French school, Nothing like that. So we have to make schooling work at home right now. So that's what we're trying to figure out.
0: How about you, Mr. G?
2: Uh, One of the things that we are adapting that I'm trying to adapt to is um, ways of doing charity and development work. So um, recently we had an incident where a lady that um, we know went up to some Christian foreign workers here in the city and asked them for some money, uh, equivalent of about a hundred bucks for some medical things. Mm-hmm. And this Christian foreign worker said to them, said to this person, um, "Yeah, can you tell me more about like what it what it is that you need and and." Uh, exactly how much and has, has anybody else given you money? And, uh, can you give, you know, receipts, uh, da da, And the lady who asked got very angry and she's like, fine, I just, I don't want your, your money. Um, and knowing this other Christian foreign worker, I'm sure that he did it in a very kind of way of, of like, Hey, I'll, you know, we're going to, we're going to give it to you. I just want to understand more about the situation, but they, uh, or this, lady continued to say, um, or, and we found out from her friend that we also know that we had stepped on some cultural, uh, we, we'd somehow hurt her feelings because of asking questions. And so, uh, and not just giving the money straight away. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, we just got, we're, we're around so much poverty, Zach, we're around so much poverty and we've got so much, uh, money compared to them that um, we know that we can do a lot of damage by just giving money to people Um, but trying to do trying to develop people and figure out what is really an emergency and what's not um, and to to have accountability from them uh, is just so difficult because we can ask questions that would be totally normal and expected in the states about receipts or about, you know, who else is contributing and then here it communicates you don't trust me.
0: Yeah. Yep. Do you think there's anything else um that contributes to the clash of cultures there? Uh, I'm just curious to unpack that even more if you guys have thought about that of why that type of questioning is is offensive.
1: I think they might think we don't trust them, but right. for us, we have a pot of church money, right. and there are everybody's needy, right and so it's a level of accountability, and like we're kind of covering our butts, like we don't pay people to be believers in this city. We right. help out with the benevolence fund, a benevolence fund. and if and you just walk a, in just to- a
0: second just a second uh Mrs. G, uh yes. paying people to be believers that's the stereotype that's like what some people the locals might think right
1: yes that is the stereotype of where we live oh of Mm -hmm. course you're a believer the the foreigners pay you to be believers yeah and so if you walk into i don't know what it is tell us what it is there if you walk into a church in america and someone says can you help me with my rent or my, my my electricity this month okay bring me your bill and you're gonna get receipts and you're gonna look at the bill and you're gonna, right. you're gonna, you're going to like have accountability. You can't just hand over a hundred bucks to some guy off the street, right? We
0: rarely, we rarely do that. And, um and we learned a lot of these policies from um the church where I used to work and where you guys come from that operates very similarly. Like we would pay someone's bill directly. We don't right. hand out
2: cash ever. Exactly, right, um, exactly. Right. And those are some of the things that we just, we think are obvious. Like, of course you don't just hand people money. You, you pay their bill. Right. Right. And it's, and yeah. So what else is going on? You asked, one of the things is we know from experience from other people, uh, from other locals here is that they can get lots of pressure from family members to say, Hey, we know, you know, these rich foreigners, Um, we need some money for X. And so, then they might be pressured to ask us for money. yeah, and so we know that that's a possibility. So therefore, it's important for us to have receipts or or whatever. Um, but to come out right out and say that to somebody in when they say, "I need money for this medical thing um would be offensive because then we'd be you know accusing their family of things. And so we just try and have a a blanket policy of we want we want. We want to know more about it. I don't know. For example,
1: I bought medicine for one of the locals. She sent me the prescription. I went and bought it. I handed it to her. Then I have an accounting of where that money went. There's also like this stigma. Okay. So we don't want to be enablers that say, oh, you don't need to get jobs because we'll just keep paying you, which has happened historically across the world. Yep. So we want to keep them in their community, in their society, looking for work and being amongst the people, not pulling them out and just paying for them to exist without them working. And so it's very delicate balance that we're trying to walk and figure out as we go.
0: Yeah. let's, Let's unpack that a little more because on the surface, some people just don't understand that giving people money just straight out whenever they ask, they don't understand that that can be destructive because on the surface, it looks very generous. It -hmm. looks very gracious. Mm -hmm. Um, But what, what have you guys seen or, or imagine someone who hasn't thought through these issues deeply Um, help someone understand who has maybe more of a, um, a simplistic view of giving Mm -hmm. What are the dangers of that that you guys have observed and confronted um, and been educated on?
2: Um, yeah, I think it's a lot. What Carrie is saying of if 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 a, so, someone converts to Christianity and in their conversion they. Uh, their family finds out about it and their family says, we don't, you're dead to us, which has happened to like a guy that we, we know here, you're dead to us. We want, we want nothing to do with you. Um, you're, we're not going to help you get a job. We're not going to help anything. So, um, this person now has cut off because we're in a smaller town. They've cut off all of their ability to get a job. How most people would get jobs. It's through their family, through close friends. friends. Yep. But now they have these other people who come into their life, who come into their life, which is us, um, because we've heard there's a believer now. And we want to, since their family has kicked them out, we want to say, we as the body of Christ have an obligation to help you because right. you have left this kingdom of darkness and you are now moving into this kingdom of light. And we're hoping to see an embassy of Christ established here in this city, right? And right. so you're representing this new kingdom and you are going to be a part of this new kingdom. Um, and there are other believers in the city and you are now a part of them, but none of them have very much money either. So yeah. they've all experienced the same thing where they've been kicked out of their families and have lost their relational way to, to, get, um, to get jobs. And if they, I mean, if you've lived in a small town, you know that if you go and apply for a job and you say your last name, then they go, oh, yeah, you, uh, Nielsen, your dad was this and this, right? right? And then they might call somebody in your family, same thing here. And then they call someone in the family and, oh, he's a he's, he's converted to Christianity? Oh, okay, he's not getting the job, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's the type of thing that happens. Well, we feel super compassionate about that. Of and course. we to help these people, especially if they're married, if they have kids. Yep. And so we might try and drum up jobs for them, our own just personal jobs, whether it's gardening or... Uh, doing something, we helping around the house, but that is not sustainable at all. Because if we leave, then what's that going to do for them? Uh, nothing. Once we leave, then they're going to be in the same spot. But that's kind of the, 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 um, the rub that we feel is we're here, we have money. There's a huge need, but by us giving temporary jobs that, that won't last past our time here. What happens when we leave? They have to be able to find jobs within their community. Right. uh, Or once we leave, they're going to be just out of luck.
0: But wouldn't the prayer be that when you guys leave, there is a church that continues that has a strategy and structure to hopefully, um, you know, I guess it would be critical mass would be an important part of this, but like, where the church would continue to care for its poor um and when you have a church of maybe 10 people that that are all poor i don't you know the bible doesn't give a verse directly about that scenario but (laughs) it requires that they that
2: some of them have money right you know and the the hard part about it is there are so many churches in the west we have so much money in the west right right It takes so little to support one of these people right so There are many, many churches in the West who directly support these churches and just pour money into them. And then you can imagine what that would be like if you've got 10 poor believers and you've got um, five months' salary coming in every month, let's say, from this church in the West with zero accountability because they don't have boots on the ground, they don't know what's happening. And then the people just fighting over who gets that money, it's it's not a good situation.
0: Yeah, because the assumption of the Bible is that I, I mean, I'd have to like scour the epistles, but like, you know, first Timothy six, Paul says to the rich. So he's assuming there's rich people in yeah. the context where Timothy is church planting. Right. um, Or, you know, like the, the Macedonian believers, you know, in second Corinthians nine, uh, yeah. eight and nine. And yeah, that's a really, really um, it's just another facet of like pioneer church planting, finding yourself in these contexts where, um, you don't have necessarily a Bible verse to apply to this immediate situation. Of course, yeah. there's principles, uh, yeah. that, that transcend everything in every context, but man, um, that, that sounds like that's an emerging, uh, unique challenge that you guys are really having to wrestle through.
2: Yeah.
1: So I think that we have been doing a lot of research, talking to a lot of people in this country. We've seen two things coming up. Whenever you just give money, it's two things, enabling and entitlement. So the first thing is enabling, like if someone needs an emergency surgery, it's a one time thing. Let's give 900 bucks. So this guy has a surgery. It's a one time thing. Right. But if we're paying his monthly salary for him to live on, Now we're enabling him not to get a job, to knock it out in his community and find his networks. Because I guarantee you, if we weren't here, he would have found work and ways to get, he would not have let his family starve. Right. Okay? We have enabled him for three years not to find work. So the next thing is entitlement. So over the years, over the past generations of uh, new believers in the last 20 years, um, there's just this mentality that has gone around of like, well, of course we should get paid, we're believers. And we saw this um, Americans in a big city here open up a very, very good job for uh, locals to work in. And guess what? They said, we started firing them because they were like, I don't need to work. You're just paying me to be here. They weren't good workers. The believers, yeah. the believers weren't good workers. I'm like, yeah. of all people, you should be the best workers. <laughs> right? Cause you're doing everything unto the glory of God. Not mm-hmm. saying, oh, of course I'm entitled. I get this job and just go and not work. And then finally they're like, we can't just pay you. Cause there are hardworking locals who want this job. And so it's kind of the opposite. Like instead of a gratitude of yes, I got a job. It's like. <laughs> of course I got a job. I'm not going to do anything. And and then they finally had to like, say, look, you're not working hard and we can't just keep letting you be having this work here.
0: Yeah. Have you guys interacted with folks maybe in various places throughout the world that have a structure or a model that seems to be addressing some of these issues in a way that that is uh, interesting or, or captivating for you guys?
2: Well, uh, two weeks ago, I contacted the Chalmers Center. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I have. They're the ones who uh, who put out this book. When helping hurts. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they've they put out a few more books. So I I contacted them and said, Do you know anybody in closed quote unquote closed countries where the church isn't allowed to to you know uh, have a building be, be or, public be yeah. public Yeah, yeah. Um, that are, are having success. And they were back and they were like, no, we haven't really, like, we don't, we know about like sub-Saharan Africa where the, where it's similar economic conditions, but the church is allowed to be public. Right. Um, and we do stuff in Europe and we do stuff in other places, but where it's underground, um, we're not really seeing it. So that was a downer. But to answer your question of have we met anyone, this same guy that Carrie was just talking about, um, some people that we know in another city. Um, they went they were dealing with kind of these same types of things with a group of local believers. Well, this group of local believers was connected to many different streams of um, of money. but like of, what Western money? Uh, of Western money through yeah. Christians.
0: yep.
2: So but the 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 work, the the foreign Christians that were living in that city, they they wanted to have a relationship with them. Um, but they but this uh, group of local Christians came to him and said, Oh, we need this, we need stuff for our our this house that, that we've got, and we need stuff for money, we need money for excuse me, money for food. And they did that for a while, but then finally said, Okay, we're not going to do this for you anymore. The way that we are going to um, be charitable and generous towards you is by job creation and job training. And so what they did is they opened up a business that they could then employ people in. Um, and they said, we will, we will no longer pay for rent. We will no longer pay for food and we will no longer pay for medical things. Um, and, uh, but they said, but we will train you in jobs and, or give you jobs, uh, if you are qualified. And they apparently, that cut off the relationship with that group of local believers. They were like, "Uh, you guys are not generous. And so we're not going to go to you anymore. We're gonna go to all these other streams that we already have and draw from those. That happened for a year. They were cut off for a year. Wow! And then they started realizing that they needed jobs and that these guys were gonna help provide them. And so they've come back and now, uh, as Kerry said, some of them have been fired. There's only one person from that group that is working with them, but yeah.
0: Wow. Well, man, that's something we can really be praying about for you guys, um, that God would, would give wisdom. It's like a moment-by-moment moment wisdom, decision-by-decision decision wisdom. Yeah. Um, and that that God would maybe provide some mentors. There's, there's got to be people doing this, but be, I would imagine because the church is underground in so many places, we just don't know about these, yeah. these different... Um, ways that people are doing church planting underground in the most unreached places of the world that have a lot of poverty in their culture. That's creating challenges. It's, it's really, as I hear you, the, it's the, it's the intersection of, it's basically poverty as a result of persecution in a lot of ways. Mm. Right. It's the intersection of, I need a job but I've labeled myself a Christian. And so this whole culture is now against me. And one of the ways they wield that power against me is by not give by, by like, I'm I've got the scarlet letter or whatever. I can't get a job.
2: Right.
0: Right. And man, that's, that's a unique thing. Cause there's a lot of places where people can't get jobs, but usually at least in the United States, it's not because of their faith uh, yeah. I'm sure we could come up with some scenarios where that would be the case, but not as dominant as
2: probably where it is where you are. And you know, Zach, it it, it starts affecting the way that we do church planting. So um, you can, you know, if, if you or your listeners are aware of the missiology and the missiological debates happening right now, a lot of it is. Um, wanting to completely leave believers in their context among their unbelieving friends and for them not to stake this claim of, I am a Christian, because of this exact reason, or it's also because of this reason, right? There's many reasons that the the missiology is moving this way, but this is one of the reasons, is that once you put that stake in the ground and say, I'm a Christian, then you have no way to support yourself anymore. So, the missiology is saying, let's not make that declaration uh, either as loud or as soon, Um, and so that you can still stay within your community and support yourself and among other things, uh, you know, share your faith more. And so there's, for us, that's, we're just struggling with it. Like, should that be the case? Should they hold off on declaring or hold off on how boldly they're declaring their faith? Um, I don't know. It's tough.
0: Yeah. I think part of it, I think is like being fully aware that you are being used right now by God as a beans of his provision. And that's a really good thing, but not, I mean, on the one hand, you can't worry about the future a hundred percent because we have to believe that God will provide if you guys are gone or your team is gone. Um, mm. He's been providing for people long before you were around and will Provide after you're gone. On the, that's like the God's sovereignty side. On the human responsibility side, yes, it's it's good to think about structures and systems that might outlive you. Yeah. Um, is there any type of institution that is being established here that will outlive us? And hopefully, that is the local church. Mm. Um, but. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Like where does God's sovereignty start and, 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 and where does my responsibility start and end? And I think the answer is probably we, we, we live in both. Um, and we're gonna make decisions, but knowing that, um, even if we don't make the right decisions, uh, that we're called to be accountable for and all that, that God is going to provide, yeah. you know, he is going to provide, uh, in the future. But right now you guys are part of the means of provision. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a good thing, but it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, man, uh, yet again, we, um, we are so thankful that you're there.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, we're thankful that you're there. We're thankful that you have been um, given this opportunity to be in the midst of this challenging scenario where half the time you don't even know what to do. Um, but that's, you're in good company. I mean, that's kind of the story of, of the Bible where people are called into something by God and they don't know what the heck to do, you know, and God does provide. He always does. And, Mm -hmm. uh, his presence is with us every step of the way. So what, um, on, on a more encouraging note, maybe you guys could answer this question, What's been something in the last, since the last time we talked, I don't know, it was probably six months ago, maybe when you guys were on last, um, what's been something encouraging that, uh, has, has happened in the midst of, um, trying to see this church that you've planted, uh, flourish?
1: Well, just this week, um, there's this sweet lady who fellowships with us and, for one reason or another, a couple of months have passed by. She hasn't joined us for our gathering. Um, she is very faithful to come to our women's study. We haven't been having that for a while. Anyways, Cody reached out to her brother in Big City two hours away, and he's also a pastor there. He said, hey, um, Nancy hasn't been coming. We just wanna check in, make sure you know everything's okay. He calls Nancy, the humblest, sweetest believer. And we don't know what all he said, but immediately she starts contacting all of us on WhatsApp, um, giving us these prayers and saying, oh, I miss you. God be with you. I'm coming next week. All this stuff. So it's like we hadn't seen her since November, actually. And so now it's January and she finally came back on Sunday with like we're like open arms like lady we missed you you don't need to bring any food you just need to bring yourself and she just had this very humble countenance about her and quickly wanted to join back in and so amidst all the drama that we've had which we have had a lot amongst the believer the local believers amongst the other ones yeah she's just like this sweet little rose like the aroma of christ like she's so humble and sweet and so it's been really encouraging
0: yeah that's awesome
2: I think another thing has been, um, that the wife of one of the believers, um, she is, she's not a believer. She's still a Muslim. And, uh, but I, I got to sit with her this, this last week, her and her husband. And, uh, She's just really, really great. She's a really, really nice person. And she sticks with her husband through thick and thin, even though he's being persecuted a lot and having a lot of troubles. Um, Like, yeah, it's a complicated situation. He married a Muslim when he was a believer, and he, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. This was, you know, 10 years ago. But he's in a situation right now where he's married to just a lady who's not a believer, but is really, really kind and really nice yeah. to him. And yep. I got to sit with her this last week and she was just asking the best questions. She was she really I, I'm convinced that she is she's not one of those people who is ever hearing, never understanding. Yeah. Um, she's more one who understands and who just can't yet take that step to count the cost. Yeah. Um but she's still asking and she's really inquisitive and I think she wants to but she's seen the cost in her husband and yes. she isn't ready to to do it and so um I was so thankful just reflecting this week that she's still around and that she's still asking questions and she just hasn't it's not yet the pearl of great price that she's willing to sell everything for, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and she comes to the women's uh, discipleship thing, and her questions are good. She prays, she sings, she engages. Wow. Her questions sometimes very, very simplistic, but also sometimes very deep. And like, wow. she shares her burden of her marriage and her children and gets prayed for and prays for other people. Her heart is so soft. And I personally think that when her parents pass away, because that's what's holding up because when you choose to leave Islam, it's like like a slap in the face to your parents. It can be. And so I think that perhaps when her parents go, then she'll be feel like the freedom to be able to do that. I don't know. But yeah, it could be. Mm-hmm.
0: Those are really, really encouraging. May it may it uh multiply those kind of testimonies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How many years has it been for you guys where you live?
2: Uh, Eight. Yeah. Eight.
0: Yeah. That's a good that's a good amount of time. I'm it'll be almost 13. It's almost 13 now, 12 and a half, we'll say. Yeah, 12 and a half for me. And I am I think just starting to taste the the blessings of being in a place in one church even though we have crazy turnover cuz that's how Madison is. Um but the blessing of being in a pastor in one place, in one church for a a long period of time. I'm really starting to feel the blessing of that, that you can't replicate any other way other than just staying, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'll be, if we'll die in Madison, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I wonder for you, for you guys, cause, cause you do see a lot of folks and you probably know a lot of stories of guys that go out to the, the mission field, um, and don't last very long, but eight years is a significant amount of time, a lot longer than a lot of people last. Um, can you think of, of blessings of the perseverance? Are you guys tasting of any blessings of, of, of staying that, that you can't just reproduce any other way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that, well, it's by God's grace that He's allowed us to have the ability to stay here through our marriage, through our language, through our children's health. All of these things that have to come into play to keep you overseas, the Lord has allowed that to happen. Um, but finally, after eight years, like going out and speaking Arabic doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I can't, I'm tired. I There are days like that but it's just like I I used to get like palpitations about making phone calls to order something. right? Right. And so I I just feel an ease with the language of the two languages. I feel an ease with the culture. Like I understand more now why people say things and do things and are there questions all the time? Like, Oh, no, sorry. Yes. But like, The neighbors, as I get to know my neighbors and we have these like weird conflicts where I'm like, oh, so the other neighbor explained to me why she did that. That makes sense. You know, that's just with time. You could come here and I could try to explain to you all of these things in a two week session. You cannot learn it. You have to be here and experience it. Time after time, heartbreak after heartbreak, victory after victory. And you celebrate small victories and you look at the heartbreak and say, next time let's be different. Because there's been a lot of heartbreaks. But yeah. you learn from them and the next time you're different. And that's just eight years of plowing and keeping going. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like there's no way you can fast track language acquisition. Um or well, I mean there probably is, but like in, in I'm always thinking of like yeah, but, um, you know, the, the person that would come back at my um, strong statements and disagree with me. In generally speaking, you can't fast track language acquisition to, to speak at a high level. Like all these stupid uh, language acquisition apps or websites like, speak fluent Spanish in six weeks. Like, sorry, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, unless you're redefining the word fluent. and yes, <laughs> And course. also culture, like you can't just fast track cultural knowledge yeah. and and that's i think one way i'd summarize what you're saying uh mrs g is is just uh like you become more of a local the longer you're there you'll never be completely 100 percent a local but you're heading that direction every single year that you're there and you can't get it any other way than just staying and how how cool is that that you have in, in some sense, two different local identities, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I know there's a side to that that's suffering as well, because you feel like I used to be uh, an American citizen and I don't feel like totally American anymore. And when mm-hmm. I go back to America, it's some things are disorienting, but, but still like, I, I think that's really, really cool. that that you guys have this Education that's profound over the course of years that you can't get any other way that most people just don't have. Mm-hmm. Like you know, different cultures at a mm-hmm. deep level, yeah. and that's beautiful. I think.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, it is. It's it is a it's a cool thing. And another way to say it is that we our capacity just continues to increase um, to be able to do more and more things. So. When you first get here, you are completely overwhelmed with culture and language and you can't almost function to do anything else. You can't you don't have enough capacity to uh, go and find shoelaces or to go and, you know, do, you know, X, Y, Z. It's overwhelming.
0: Market. Yeah, just
2: you're overwhelmed. And then with each passing month and year, you just kind of build in more and more capacity to, oh, I can do other things now. And I'm not completely zapped by. You know, two o'clock anymore. Now it's you know at four o'clock. I'm completely (laughs) whatever. You know, it just keeps increasing um, to where you are more effective in some ways the the longer that you're here. I mean, it can go that way. We hope that that's that it's going that way. Yeah, you're more effective in your communication and just in getting things done. uh, Not that that's the the main goal, but uh, that that is it's so hard to do things when you first get here. And the longer you're here, it's like, okay, I can I can get some of this other stuff. And other stuff just doesn't bug you as much. So that's-
1: And I think locals, once we've been here for eight years, they have a, an inherent trust for us. They're like, oh, you're not just people coming in and out. Like you're with us. You have been with us for eight years. Yeah. Build that trust with them. Yeah. I think the second thing is, is that when people first move here, they can't wait to get out of the country to feel like a repose, like to feel relaxed and get yeah. out of it. But like we now can stay in our country and go to a city, another city, go to the mountains, go to the beach, and even still be among the people, still speaking the same language, but still be able to get away and feel like Mm -hmm. So I think when you're first here, you're like, I got to get out of this country, I got to get to Europe. And now we're like, well, I don't know, we're fine. Like we can go for a very long time without leaving the country. And that's changed over the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's close with this. Are there any promises of God from the word that have been especially poignant or um, applicable in recent days for you guys?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, let me grab my Bible real quick. It's uh, from our reading today, actually. One Love two. it.
0: I love that uh, I can see on the screen, although no one else will be able to see. But just in light of um, how we started the podcast about temperatures, I see you guys have your blankets on your laps and the space heater right, <laughs> behind, the space heater right behind you. <laughs> yeah. Beanies on. Yeah, no snow on the ground, but
2: still cold. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Mark four, and he said, "The kingdom of God is as if a man should sc- scatter seed on the ground." He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Um, yeah, I was I was just struck by this that the that so much of our work is like the like a farmer who is just trusting God to To provide rain so that the seed would sprout, but it's also him acting on that faith by sowing the seed. Right, uh, And so God help us to be faithful in these, in sowing the seed and just faithful in our work, in the mundane things that you've given us to do day after day, but then also trusting that you are going to make that blade sprout. You're going to make that ear of corn pop out and all of the the seeds that are going to be around it. Um, And God help us to do that because, man, it's wearying sometimes. Sometimes it's just like, oh, my gosh, are we doing this right? Is this? Gosh, we ask that question all the time.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: I think that I did all the, we had to do this annual ministry plan in January and just New Year's and all this. And I just see how each season god is working on something new in my life and i just keep picturing like let us throw off the sin that easily entangles and run with our eyes fixed and so sometimes i just picture like i have these really hard things in my life that are like i just feel like i'm walking through mud but i kind of like picture like i'm running and these things are falling off of me like let's throw off the sin so i'm constantly like lord there is sin that is entangling me right now What is it? And what are you working on right now? Because God brings trials in my life so that he can refine me and bring out the sin. And what are these small, respectable sins and sometimes not respectable sins that I'm like, oh, it's okay," because I'm doing so well here. Right. And so I'm just like trying to fix my eyes on the Lord, because if if I take my eyes off myself and look to the Lord, he's going to show me like what he's moving and doing in my life through these like hardships.
0: Love it, man. That's really encouraging for me to hear. It's a word that helps me persevere from where I sit. And so I think that will be applied to others that are listening. So, well, we we love you guys. And it's so good to have your voices as a regular presence on our podcast. And so hopefully we'll do this again in a few months. And um, thank you guys so much for your time.
1: Yeah, we love you. We love you, Vine family. Thanks for having us today.